Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from the Temporary Drunk Gossip Studios here in Detroit. And, you know, um, yesterday we did the Veronica Mars deep dive, um, mostly because I was just starting to feel a little bit better. Um, but I wanted to get that done and out of the way uh, before um, getting into deeper issues. And y'all really love that. So as I hear more about the shows, um, we'll, we'll be doing more of those, I think. Um, one of the shows that always has a lot, a lot of drama going on is Riverdale. And I'm not just talking about on screen. Riverdale is just chock full of drama happening off screen. Um, Cole Sprouse and Lily Reinhardt broke up. Or are they together? They're so on and off again. It's almost like they think they're Ross and Rachel from Friends. Um, uh... But on a, on a more serious note, um, the, there is a lot of drama that happens, um, and it's covered extensively by Crazy Days and Nights and Blind Gossip. I'm not quite sure why the other sites don't or, or don't cover it. Maybe because they're still trying to get interviews with them or something. I don't know. Um, but one of the big things that happened to the show this year was the death of Luke Perry. For those of you who don't remember, back in February, Luke Perry suffered a stroke at the tender age of 50. And then at the age of, well, it, just a few weeks later, I should say, he passed away in March. And after that, people really expected Riverdale to do a tribute. They thought it was going to be in the current third season, but... Producers were like, no, 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 no. We're going to wait and we're going to do this next season so we can do it right. We don't have enough time to go and write the episode and get everything put together like we would want to. And to be fair, they were already working. I believe they were working on the finale when he passed. So it's not like they were being douches or anything. And they did a loving um, tribute. They dedicated his last episode to him. Um, And then they reached out to Shannon Doherty. As they were putting together the season premiere. So why would they reach out to Shannon Doherty? Word on... Well, I I always say word on the street. (laughs) I don't know why I say that, honestly. Uh, word is 
that Luke had been trying to get them to um, bring her on board since he signed up for the show um, in the beginning. And they just never found a way to do it. So Robert Aguirre Sakasa said, Luke had talked to me on and off over the years about trying to find something for Shannon on the show. And when we were putting together a special episode, we kind of wanted to include people from Luke's life. And Aguirre Sakasa said that they put together the script with the hopes that Shannon would want to do it, and they sent it over to her, and he said there was a very emotional and important role, and we sent the scripts to Shannon. She read it, she loved it, and said, I want to do it. So it's about honoring their friendship a little bit. I know she was really moved when she read the script and immediately said yes. Um, That was from Cole Sprouse. And Cole said, hey... Having her on the set was very cathartic. You know, it was very nice for us to have one of his best friends, one of his former co-workers on set with us. And, you know, and there's a chance that she's going to come back. When when he was asked about whether or not Shannon could reprise her role um, from the premiere sometime during the season, he said absolutely. He said never say never. And... You know, given how Riverdale works, her character's probably full of intrigue and secrets and storylines that, um, frankly, um, could fuel the show for a while to come. And every year, Riverdale does this weird genre change type thing. So this time I'm wondering if they're going to go with more of a a family drama. And in support of that, Molly Ringwald is said to be appearing more and more as Mary Archie's mother. But as I always say, we're going to watch and see what happens. And we're going to see what happens, um, because there's a whole BHN Channel Twitter deep dive I'm planning. Um, I don't know when that'll come out. Probably closer to the time when the show debuts. But for right now, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come right back. And I'm back. So one of the privileges of living in New York is being able to go to the theater whenever you want. Um... And in a real way, the theater, most people think that the theater is dependent upon tourists. And it is to a certain extent. But it's also, it's probably more dependent upon people who live in the area. Um, For for numerous reasons. Um, The one I'm going to argue today is... Um, for, you know, for employees and, you know, support staff. 
um, and I well, I should say, cast with the cast and and support staff and and whatnot. But also, believe it or not, New Yorkers and those who live around the area all really actually love to go to the theater. You know, there are subscriptions that are bought and sold based on what's going to be playing. And New Yorkers are, by and large, very respectful of the theater experience. Everyone gets there on time. Um, You know, we're seated, whatever. So that's what makes this next story a little... um, I guess we're going to say sad, but it's more than that. It's... It, it's just plain disrespectful, but also very pervy and creepy. So, in the play, Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune, they're, in the very beginning of the show, there's a huge sex scene where Michael Sheen and Audra McDonald are naked. And Frankie and Johnny will go down in Broadway history, not for busting box office records like Hamilton or being a big, splashy um, Broadway play like Harry Potter and the, um, whatever it's called. <laughs> but... For being the first show to hire an intimacy coach for the two stars. And this, uh, you know, that really helped get the stars over their initial fears of, of appearing butt ass naked on the stage in front of people. And, and grow comfortable with one another. I mean, let's face it. When you're naked with someone, you have to be comfortable with that person. And, you know, Audrey McDonald and Michael Sheen are, are professionals. But over the weekend, some jackass tried, well, didn't try. They, they got a picture of the two actors naked. Now the picture has not made the rounds on the internet as of yet. Which is a good thing. Um there doesn't seem to be any There doesn't seem to be any um There doesn't seem to be any malicious reasons for doing it. However, each and every theater tells you, um, it's in, they, they tell you via an announcement, you cannot use your cell phone, photography is strictly forbidden, um, or in recording is obviously strictly forbidden too, uh, during the performance. Now, the, the trade-off to that is, even though they may not necessarily like it, 
they will allow you to take pictures of the set before the play starts. And most actors are very gracious and will, you know, as they're getting ready to leave, will stop and sign some autographs for fans and and whatnot. Neil Patrick Harris did it. Um, Stephanie J. Block did it for the Cher show. So, you know, it's not as if these people don't do stuff like this. You know, and it's not like they limit access to themselves in terms of, you know, if you want to do a meet and greet, all you have to do is wait back out, you know, wait by the exit door for them and they will literally allow you to do that. Um, so taking the picture while they're, first of all, while they're acting is just rude, but taking the picture while they're naked and you, you know, this has been well publicized that this is the first show with an intimacy coach. Um, this is the first, um, I believe this is the first time both have appeared on stage naked. Now, they may have taken their role, their clothes off for other roles or and whatnot. But this is a, I believe this is the first time that they've been on stage and naked. Audra McDonald is a Tony winner. Who takes her craft seriously. So when this happened, you can best believe she was pissed. Um, she wrote, um, I believe it was on Twitter, to whoever it was in the audience that took a flash photo during our nude scene today, not cool, not cool at all. And a rep followed that up with a statement that said, there is a no photo policy in terms of normal process. If someone is spotted taking a picture or video, an usher or house management staff member will ask them to erase the photos and videos. And then, um, whoever took the picture is asked to show their deleted folder and empty it so there is no record of it's still on the phone. If they refuse to hand over their camera, they are asked to leave. Um, and there's no word yet on whether or not they were able to get the nude photos of Michael Sheen and Audrey McDonald. And that could be why we haven't seen them because the staff, and I, I will attest, you pull your phone out for 30 seconds and the staff is on you. Like, no. You need to do that. You need to do that on intermission, on intermission, or you need to leave. And speaking of leaving, I need to take a break, and I will be right back. And I'm back. So, Wendy Williams had a really big news cycle yesterday. First came news that she's going to be producing a biopic... Um, for a lifetime about her own life. Now, here's two things I just want to say about this real fast. First of all, I don't think it's a good idea to produce anything of your own. Like, if you're writing an autobiography or a memoir, that's fine. But when it comes to 
when it comes to like a biopic, people don't want to see a sanitized version, which is what we're going to see with Wendy Williams. We're going to see what she wants us to see and what she's already admitted publicly. <clears throat> but we're not going to see the real behind the scenes like we're wanting to. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to send the release of How You Doing Inside the Wendy Williams Divorce to um, the release of her film. Some people say um, that's skeevy. I say that's good marketing. <laughs> but honestly, with a situation like this, you really don't want... You, I really think that other people should do it. Like, if there was ever a biopic about my life made... I would not be producing it. I would not. Because I know. I know myself well enough to know as much as I say. Like, I would tell the tablets, hey, here, here's what really happened. But when it came to it being depicted on screen, I would try to sanitize myself and make myself be the hero when I wasn't always necessarily the hero. Or I would try to hide parts that I don't want people to know about. So, um, there's that part of it. But she was also on the, uh, the Karen Hunter show on Sirius XM. And, first of all, just so everyone knows, Karen Hunter is no relation to Wendy and, and her soon-to-be ex-husband, Kevin. They're two completely separate people. Um, but Karen asked her um, why she hadn't legally changed her name after... Um, she filed for divorce. And Wendy said, my name is Wendy Hunter, and that's my son's name, and you can't take away 20. And then she started tearing up, and she said, don't make me cry, next. And here's the thing. Here's one of the things that really bothers me about Wendy. She acts tough, and she, you know... She acts tough, she acts like, oh, I'm a badass... But you ask one little question, and she falls to pieces and tries to move on to the next, when she wouldn't let her guests do that. Now, I believe that not letting your guests do that and, you know, really trying to figure out what's going on is the sign of a good reporter. So she gets mad respect for that, but the other side of the coin is, when you decide to live your life in a public forum like this... And you decide to open up and let people into your personal life. You. You have to expect. These type of questions. Especially when you're involved in what is. Arguably the celebrity. Story of the year. 
I know some people are going to say, well, Jesse Smollett, you're right. But I, with Jesse Smollett, I think of that more as a true crime, honestly. I, just, I know he's a celebrity, but um, after the initial shock and awe of it all, it really morphed into an investigation and a crime story. Um, but, Wendy Williams, you know, is a celebrity, she's really loved, beloved, arguably, so, and she's invited people in, she's talked about her marriage, the minute you open your mouth up about your relationship, that's when you don't have a right to try to backtrack, Um, and she went on to say, I'm happy, I'm healthy despite my ankles. Her ankles were swollen, um, at the time. And she said, I'm at peace with the world and with everyone around me. I am going through a situation with my family. So Karen, who, I've never listened to this woman, but I need to find a way to listen to her because she sounds terrific. Asked if there was a chance of reconciliation with Wendy Williams. And Wendy said, no, don't ask. Girl, no. I know what you're saying, but my family is good and will always be family. And, you know, I think... Here's one place where I actually do really agree with Wendy Williams. When you're with somebody for a very long time, and I'm not talking, you know, oh my god, I died for two years. Or, you know, when you were with someone for ten plus years in an intimate romantic relationship, you don't detangle that easily. You know, it, it takes time. And especially when you have a child together, that really adds to it. And, you know, so for that, I really have to give Wendy Williams some some credit. Because I think she she actually did something very brave. I think she did something very... Um, I think she knows that as much as she wants Kevin out of her life, it's never going to fully happen. But you know what is going to happen? I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come right back. And I'm back. So, one of the takeaways from yesterday's episode was people are really, really upset about the the bold move that Rob Thomas made with Veronica Mars. Um, and it's understandable they had got they had gotten used to the show being one thing. And, you know, 
being written one way, um, and that included the love story of love, Logan and Veronica. And then that was completely usurped in favor of going into a hardcore detective show. And I think there, I think that a lot of people are struggling right now to understand why this decision was made. So, as a creative, let me try to just talk this out. So, not many people know, but at one time I was writing YA YA novels, <clears throat> and the. What I considered to be my surefire hit blockbuster novel was about a girl whose boyfriend comes back from the war as a zombie. And basically... Um, what happened was, I was writing it, it was for NaNoWriMo, and I was actually getting a lot of really, really good uh, mileage from it. You know, I was, my work columns were really great, I was, I was, um, the, the plot was flowing nicely. Of course, I had um, a third point to a love triangle because every YA book needs a love triangle for some reason. Which, just as a side note, that drives Phil crazy. And, you know, and I kind of see his point. And, you know, not everything needs a love story. But in YA, especially when you're targeting um, the the female audience and the YA market, you need a love story. You need a, you need a, an arc that hangs over um, each book. And some people will argue love triangles are the lazy way. I argue that love triangles are the marketable way. We can debate that another day, though. Um, for right now, we are um, getting back to my main point here. We, um, in my story. I kind of hit, one day I kind of hit a roadblock, which I should have just stopped writing, honestly, that day. Um, I had already hit my my word count goal for the next two days, so I was good. I could have just stopped taking a deep breath, taking a day off, maybe had some vodka, uh, but I, I kept writing. And the zombie boyfriend went over to see his girl, and... Essentially, he ended up 
killing the mother and eating her brains and turning her into a zombie as well. And from that point on, I could not write the, I could not write that book anymore. Because what, it kind of was starting to go against what I had envisioned for the series. It was going to be a trilogy. And I was kind of tweaking, in a way, I was kind of tweaking um, the YA tropes. And with, with that, with that big twist where I killed the mother, I just, I got so emotionally stunted that I had to stop writing it. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've gone back and I've revisited it, and there's a lot of good stuff in that book. And yes, I've thought about returning to it and, and trying to see if I could figure out ways to save the story. As of yet, I've not quite figured out how to do it. Um, because I always get to the part where he kills the mother, and... That's where I honestly get really, really stuck. Um, But. And of course there's a but. I know. You know, eventually I will figure something out. I'll, I'll figure out a way to, to save this. Um, and I think what Rob Thomas was doing with Veronica Mars was essentially the same thing. He, he saw that, you know, the audience that grew up with Veronica Mars was starting to form TV habits and form um, form likes and dislikes of shows. And you can't keep the you can't keep the teenage drama going forever. And you can't keep putting these characters in the same type of situations, meaning you know, love triangles and and whatnot without it getting really repetitive. And so I think with him moving towards more of a mystery show he actually was speaking to the audience and he was really speaking to uh, what they wanted despite 
what some of the fans are saying or um, thinking. I really believe that he... I really believe that he was like, hey, this is what's up. This is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to go full-blown mystery. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, he just negated the first three seasons of the show. No, he really didn't. And here's why. Um, Before I go, I just want to say... What he did was actually brilliant. Those first three seasons, the movie and the two books, serve as Veronica's backstory and a launching pad for this new iteration. Basically, all he all he did with the end of season four was reboot the series. You know, it, at this point. He just gave Veronica Mars a a longer life shelf. A shelf life, rather. (laughs) So, I think, instead of condemning him, people need to be applauding him. Because he did something completely amazing. And clearly, I need to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And for most of this year... Stories about Brittany have centered around um, her mental illness and um, have centered around her mental illness and the conservatorship that she's been under since 2007 and 2008. And it's left people wondering, you know, if if I love her so much, how can I if if I love her so much, how can I talk about that sort of stuff? The truth is I do love her, but it's also part of my job to talk about her you know about all the gossip. I don't get to cherry pick what I talk about. Well, okay, I do get to cherry pick what I talk about, but you know, once a topic is is broached you know, there are some things we don't talk about or I tend to let Will take care of, like politics. And yes, while I've been here, um, I've been covering that, but not without being yelled at. <laughs> um, but with, with... With Brittany, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, it, it's just one of those things that I feel is really important to talk about. And, you know, if she is being abused um, by those that are supposed to be taking care of her, it's important for people to know. To that end... We're not going to be talking about her mental health today. We're going to be talking about some cutesy stuff about Britney. And, you know, frankly, I think it's about time. (laughs) So, if we could flash back, it is, well, it's not Thursday, it's Wednesday, but if we 
go back in our time machine and pretend like it's Thursday and do a throwback Thursday here. We will go back to um, 2004. And um, Brittany had just married her childhood pal, Jason Alexander. Now, there, there have been many books that have claimed that the reason why she did this was as kind of a fuck you to her mom, Lynn. Lynn was trying to control her and say she had to do this and this and this and whatever. And Brittany was like, mm, no, I'm going to do me. So she got married to Jason Alexander. And her good pal, um, Lance Bass, flew out to Vegas and was like, what is happening right here? Girl. Girl. What's happening? Um, So, after Brittany realized what she did, she started freaking out. And from here, I'm going to let Lance tell the story a little bit. He said, it was the night she got married the first time in Vegas to Jason. So I went up to Vegas to see to kind of see the craziness that was happening. And she was a little upset once she realized what she had done because, you know, it's a funny thing. And then she started, like, really crying and, like, she was so upset. And so I took her to her room and we were sitting on her bed. Um, Just for the record, this is the first time that Lance says he came out to her. And... And she wouldn't stop crying, so so I was like, I'm gay. And it made her stop. She chuckled. Of course, that marriage was not designed to last. It was an old 55 hours later. And both parties have since moved on. Um, Brittany then married Kevin Federline. And went through a really weird phase in both her life and career. And that ended in divorce. Um, and for those of you who who don't know, um, in a previous episode of Trump Gossip, we talked about this. Um, allegedly, one of the things that Brittany loved about K-Fed was on one of their first dates, there was a squirrel, and Brittany apparently is terrified of squirrels. And so he... Instead of laughing at her or any, or anything like that, he got the squirrel away from them, and she viewed him as kind of her savior, like someone who would actually um, take care of her and protect her. And that's why earlier this year, when he was trying to get more money um, from her for child support... She was very upset about it. Um, so she divorced k in 2007. And of course, that's when the infamous breakdown happened. Um, it was also at a time when the paparazzi was starting to be really, really har- harassing, for lack of a better word, towards stars. 
Um, so, uh, there's all that. She, she had a breakdown and whatnot. And she's come back stronger, despite some lapses and whatnot. Um, the conservatorship is really credited with helping her quite a bit. And as we move through her marriages, we're going to talk about what happened at the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiere this week. So Quentin Tarantino's movie is coming out, and it stars uh, Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, and it's expected to make a shit ton of money. Um, It has a $90 million budget. We're going to talk about... um, in a writing-focused episode that I'm planning, we're going to talk about um, what Quentin Tarantino got that nobody else gets. Um, but anyway, so it stars Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Luke Perry in his final on-screen performance. Um, you know, I, I just noticed how Luke Perry tied into the first and last segment. <laughs> Anyways, there's a bunch of Hollywood people in there. So, Brittany was invited to the premiere. And she walked the red carpet with her boyfriend, Sam Escari. And she happened to be wearing a ring on her wedding finger. Which has people in the rumor mill spinning out of control that she's engaged. Now, I'm not saying she's not. We don't know for sure. But given the current blinds about how her people are really trying to um, change the story and change the um, change the story and change the, the tide... Don't be surprised if this is not true. Um, Don't be surprised if this isn't just a ploy um, by them to uh, get the focus off her mental health and back onto her relationship. And eventually back onto her music and, and business lines. Um... With that, with that being said, um, this, you know, according to the lawyer, Sam is a paid employee. He's paid to show up in public and pretend to be her boyfriend and, and give the public some sense of security with Brittany. Um... According to Blind Gossip, Brittany really wants to settle down and she really wants to have at least one more baby, a baby girl. I'm not negating either of those things because I don't know for sure what's happening, to be honest. Um, you know, there's... There's 
any number of things that could be true that, that could be happening. Um, but I'm, of course, going to follow the engagement story um, to see what pops up. I'm guessing that there's going to be blind items and or reveals on Blind Gossip and Crazy Days and Nights today. Um, and if there are, I will, of course, bring them to you tomorrow. But that's going to do it for me today. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.